Welcome to Chicago West Sunday Sermons, where we encourage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, equip within Christ-centered community, and engage with good works. This week, we will hear a sermon from Pastor John Kelly. Good morning, everybody. Happy Palm Sunday to you. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can meet me in Mark chapter 1. We'll be in Mark 1, and we are going through a series called Come Follow Me. And we're trying to examine what does it mean, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow him? And uh, we all are disciples of Christ. We're followers of Christ. And so today's message is building on this theme of following Jesus. And so I'm excited to jump in it with you. But as you turn there, um, there was a book that was written in 1860. That's a while back. Um, It was a novel called Say and Seal. It was written by a woman named Susan Warner. And in the book, there's this part where this child is sick and ill and is dying. And so as this child is sick and is um, close to death, there is a poem that is written that is spoken over the child as a sign of hope for this child. And this well-known poem ended up becoming a hymn, but here's the original poem. The poem goes like this. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Jesus loves me, he who died. Heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin. Let his little child come in. Jesus loves me, loves me still, though I am very weak and ill. From his shining throne on high comes to watch me where I lie. Jesus loves me. He will stay close beside me all the way. When this little child will take, no, then his little child will take up to heaven for his dear sake. That little poem was later made into a hymn by her sister, Anna Warner, and then The psalm, the the hymn writer, William Bradbury, added the chorus, yes, Jesus loves me, that we're so, we're very familiar with. But the thing I like about the poem is that it's written in the context of a little child who is ill and dying. And it captures the idea that in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our trauma, that in our darkest hours, there's something that you and I need to be reminded of the most, and it's that. Jesus loves us. Now, I don't know what your week has been like. I don't know what your struggles have been like. But the idea that we want you to be encouraged with this morning, this Palm Sunday, is that Jesus loves you. Now, what I found and what I may think a little bit of knowing about you, just a little bit, is that that fluctuates for you some days. Some days you feel it. You drive in the car. You, you know, tears well up. And you just feel the overwhelming love of God in your heart, Right? And there's some days you just, you don't feel it, right? Man, I see God moving in everybody else. And man, I'm glorifying what God is doing over there. But man, I don't know if he really feels that way about me. Is that your heart this morning? Well, what I want to show you from this passage in hopes that you would be very, very encouraged is that honestly, and I mean this from the depths of my heart, if I could just sit down and look at each and every one of you in the face, I would just want to preach this to you directly. Because I believe that Jesus loves you deeply. 
The title of this morning's message is Jesus Loves You Deeply. There's some things from this passage I pray that God would give you an open eyes and a fresh heart to see and feel in the depths of your soul. And so would you just bow your head? I want to pray for you. Because I know this thing is easy to say that Jesus loves you deeply, but you're like, yeah, but what about this past week? Let me just pray for you right now. Lord Jesus, I can preach your word, but I, I can't make anyone feel your love in the depths of their soul. And so I just ask that right now by the power of your word, that is sharper than any two-edged sword. This is your voice speaking to your people. And by the, the power of the Holy Spirit, I would ask right now, Lord, that anyone wa- watching online, anyone sitting in this room, that they would have a fresh awakening in their soul, that they are deeply loved by you. You don't just like them. You don't just care about them. You love them. And I just pray right now, Lord, there'll be a beeline, it's a direct line from your eyes to their heart, and that they would see you this morning, and as we work through this passage and this text, that they would see themselves in this story, but they would see your heart in this story and say, that's for me, that's for me. And so right now, would you do a mighty work in reviving the weary heart this morning? And we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you're with me, if you could turn to Mark chapter 1, Mark 1, and we're only looking at five verses, verses 40 through 45. And if you remember, we're looking at what does it mean to follow Jesus, right? Last week, we saw all the demonic spiritual warfare that comes as Jesus is going out from city to city. He's healing people, but he has to cast out demons as light comes in the uh, town darkness must go out and so he's going out he's preaching the word and then he encounters a man and it's in this encounter that he has with this man who's a leper that we really get to see his heart for us there's three things I want you to know about his love for you that I hope you see here in this passage and here's the first thing Jesus has compassion for you my sister Jesus has compassion for you, my brother. Oh, beloved, I don't know what you're going through this week, but if I can encourage you with a word of truth, is that Jesus has a heart of compassion when he looks at you. And so here we are. We find, let's look in verse 40. You can see in verse 39, it says that he went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting demons. So he's going all throughout Galilee, this region. And here we are in verse 40, and it says, and a leper came to him imploring him and kneeling to him and kneeling said to him, if you are willing, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, just the context again, Jesus is traveling with his disciples and he's preaching the gospel, casting out demons, and he meets a man with leprosy. Now, what do we know about leprosy? Well, as we think through leprosy, Um, the the leprosy in this day is not really the same as leprosy that we would see in our day. And no matter how much doctors talk about it, we don't know exactly fully what it was like in this context because it looks different in different environments. But leprosy in general is a white boil or white rash that overtakes us a serious skin disease. And so it would cover and consume an area, preferably the arms, the face, boils would pop up and it would be bright white. It was often incurable. 
So there is no amount of doctors you can go to, but the miracle might happen and somehow, somewhere you get cured of it. But generally, there's no cure for it. It was also highly contagious. So it can get on objects, it can get on you, it can get on people. So it can spread quick, which means that the person who had leprosy was considered unclean and unfit to participate in religious and social activities within the community. So you can't go to church, you can't go to the temple, you can't bring your sacrifice, you can't go to no birthday parties, which means that lepers often lived in small gatherings outside of the community. They had to live outside of the camp because you don't want to infect anyone else. And just think about this, because they are lepers and because of everything I just shared, they experienced severe social rejection. So if you're talking about the bottom tier, they down at the bottom tier, severe social rejection. In fact, they were required to cry out whenever they saw anybody, unclean, unclean, get away from me, unclean, I'm not clean. Can you just imagine psychologically? Let me give you a context, Leviticus chapter 13, this is what Leviticus 13 says about the leper. I have it here for you on the screen. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, so imagine some torn clothes, and let their, the hair of their head hang loose, and shall, he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. His dwelling shall be outside camp. Can you hear me? So you can see scripturally that there's protection and there's reason for this. Because if this man with leprosy is walking around, he will what? Infect everyone else. He has to live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, I just want you to think about 2020 and COVID-19. Think about what it did to you psychologically when you constantly had to quarantine and stay away from folks. I mean, I didn't even get to go to my grandmother's funeral. They couldn't, more than 10 people weren't allowed in the room at the time. Think about what you've experienced during COVID. I mean, many of us couldn't even find toilet paper. Social distancing. This is social distancing on steroids. And so I want you to put your, 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 yourself in the place of this leper who experiences rejection over and over and over. In fact, they would throw rocks whenever they saw lepers to keep them away. This man hasn't had a hug in how long? If he has kids or a family or a wife or mom or dad or siblings, he ain't seen them in how long? A long time. And so we get to verse 40 now and look what happens. It says, a leper came up to him, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. I love this. We learn the context. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, imploring him. That word imploring means begging. Comes up to Jesus, begging him, and he's kneeling, right? Kneeling is a sign of humility. I'm getting down low. 
And so here we have insight into not just this man's need, but how he came to Jesus. He came begging and he came kneeling. And that's a big risk because he's not even supposed to be around folks. But he's begging and he's kneeling. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time that you was on your knees and your words were, please, Lord, I'm begging you. When was the last time you was on your knees? I get that you cried this week and it's been a hard season. I get all that. But have you ever been in that desperation? When that's all you could do is get down and you, you drink in your tears and your only prayer that you can get out your mouth is, Lord, please, I'm begging you. I'm begging you, God. That's all I can keep saying. Lord, I'm begging you. Have mercy. And here's his prayer. Here's his words to the Lord. If you are willing, you can make me clean. I'm begging you, God. I'm on my knees in humility. I'm begging you. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Do you feel unclean this morning? Have you seen your heart this week? You heard a whole sermon on demonic activity and spiritual warfare, and in the past week, you still went out and dabbled in some mess? After everything you heard, you still drank, smoked, went and been with that person? Still lied, still yelled at the kids, still gave into your anger, still lusted, still... And your mind, you know your thoughts... And you're like, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I know you saved me, but I'm tired of walking in this mess. Do you feel unclean this morning? I notice how we sung, right? Like, make me clean, and everybody groaned and say yes. So I guess there's some cleaning that needs to happen, some cleansing. Do you feel rejected? Like the leper? Nobody understands. Do you feel like that this morning? Well, nobody understands the trouble I've seen. Are you suffering? put it to you this way does anybody in here feel like a leper today have you felt like a leper this past week I know I have and so here we find this man and he says if you are willing you can make me clean now what I love here is this man has some faith it takes faith to approach Jesus and ask for something the fact that you, you pause and you pray to him means that you believe that he exists. There's some level of faith that you have, but let me just say, if you notice here, this man's faith is weak. Because although he has faith in Jesus' abilities, he's not sure if Jesus will do it. And maybe that's been you, Lord, I know you're able to do it for other people, but I don't know if you'll do it for me. Man, Lord, I, I believe you're able. I just want to show you, I often say that there's three types of faith. We have it here for you on the screen. There's three types of faith. There's what you call great faith. That's great faith, and we'll unpack that in a minute. Then there's mustard seed faith. Scripture talks about that. And then there's no faith. What is great faith? I have it here for you. Great faith is, Lord, I know that you're able, and I know that you will. That's great faith. Lord, I know that you're able, and I know that you will. That's the woman with the issue of blood. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I don't even got to talk to him. If I could just get to him, and I could just touch him, I know I'm going to be healed. And Jesus says, man, you have great faith. 
right? So God, I know you're able and I know you will. If I could just touch the hem of your garden, that's great faith. But then you got mustard seed faith. Mustard seed faith is, Lord, I know that you're able. Man, I'm not sure if you will. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that's the, we all fluctuate through these three at some point. Lord, I believe that you're able to heal, but I just don't know if you will. I know you could fix this marriage, but it just seemed too far gone. I don't know if you will. God, I know you could save this person. I've been praying for a long time. I just don't know if you will now. God, I know you can. I know you're able. I just don't know if you will. And Jesus says there's a lot that he could do with mustard seed faith. He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Why is that? Because even if you don't know if I will, you know that I'm able. So, Lord, I know you're able. I'm still struggling to believe that you'll do it for me. And Jesus said, but as long as you got that tiny little belief that I'm able to do it, you can say to this mountain, be removed into the sea. So you got great faith, you got mustard seed faith, but then you got no faith. Those are the moments where it's, Lord, in all honesty, I, I, I just, I don't believe that you're able, and so therefore I don't believe that you will. God, I know you're able to heal my grandmom right now, and it's getting darker. Now I don't even believe you're able to heal her right now. Therefore, I don't believe you will. Yeah, in my mind, I know, yeah, yeah, you could fix this marriage or you could bring my son back, but I'm struggling to believe you're even able to do it. He just seems too far gone. You ever been there before? Where something just seems so far gone, you're just like, man, I don't, I don't know if you're able to fix this. That was doubting Thomas, right? Man, until I put my, my finger in the wounds, then I'll believe it then. I don't believe that Jesus came back. I, I don't believe it. until I could put my finger in the wounds. And does Jesus show up and scold him? Go ahead. Put your finger right there. Touch my wounds. And even in those moments, how many times have you had no faith, flatlined, and he did something that gave you strength to believe again? Right? And so at any point, we're always in between those three. And let me just give a word of encouragement. If you're here and you're like, man, I'm really struggling with my faith. We all do too. And you know why we always struggle? We struggle because we have to process a history of being rejected with our prayers. You've asked God to do some things and it's like he didn't come through in that moment. What is the one area that you just stopped praying about? Maybe it's someone's salvation, maybe it's something in the family, maybe it's a breakthrough you want to see in a medical situation. But to be honest, you stop praying because you don't want to be rejected again. Is there, everybody got that one category that's hard for them. Can I share with you a category that was hard for me? Everything with the criminal justice system. It was always hard for me. People would pray for me. I had zero faith. Can I tell you what happened to me Christmas of 20, 2007, that fall on a cell block I was on in prison, all the counselors, all the staff said, John, you should apply for pre-release. That's when you can get released early to a halfway house for a year. You should apply for pre-release. We all going write, to uh, write documents and man, we're gonna, I mean, you, you shouldn't be here and I'm positive you'll get it. That's what the counselors and all the staff in the prison were saying. So you know what I did? Fasted and prayed with the church. Filled it out by faith. And you couldn't tell me 
that I wasn't going to get a yes if I touched the hem of his garment. Two days before Christmas, I got a note from the guard that said, I am sorry, Mr. Kelly, we have declined your request. Man, I laid on that bunk by myself, put the curtain up, and sobbed. That was my Christmas gift. Fast forward, as I came home from uh, prison, I would go on job interview after job interview, fasting and praying. 68 times rejected each one for my criminal record. Had people fasting and praying, rejection, rejection, rejection. Then I come to Chicago, and you know, many of you have prayed, can't even leave the county, can't travel, can't do this, can't do that. My wife would be like, I'm praying that you're going to get off parole early. I'm fasting and praying. I've had seven parole officers file paperwork to say, this man should not be on my caseload. Can you let him go? Rejection. Rejection. Finally, I get to probation. I had the head of the probation department say, you don't need to be under our supervision. I'm putting in paperwork. Hits the wall. I had the governor of Pennsylvania look me in the eye and shake my hand and say, John, we're going to get you off. You shouldn't be on here. A month later, nothing. What happened was, in all other areas, I could have faith. I could lean in. But in this one area, because I fasted and prayed so much and the door kept getting shut, I just got to the place where it was better not to ask about it than to experience the rejection again. Now, I don't know what category you have, but we all have a category where it's like, man, I've been praying for this person's salvation. I've been praying for this health issue. And everybody comes up and they mean, well, oh, we're going to have faith. We're going to fast and pray. But you don't want to feel rejected in that area again. You're like, man, I'd rather not just deal with the Lord on that. I don't know what you stopped praying about, but you need to keep praying again. And God had to work that into my heart. And uh, you know what I found out actually some years later? I didn't find out to maybe a couple years ago. There was somebody that I had drama with before I came to faith in Christ. A very violent individual. And they were actually in the halfway house at the time that I would have got there. And I wouldn't have known that. And I'm a changed man, so I wouldn't have did anything. But they definitely would have put a hit out on me. I didn't realize that what I received at that moment as rejection was actually protection. You never know. And all those times I wanted to travel and do certain things, God didn't let me go. But I could tell you this. I went on my first missions trip last year, <laughs> right? And I'm finally going to Israel this November if the Lord tarries, right? Here's what I'm saying to you. I have learned Ecclesiastes 3.11 that he has made everything beautiful in his time. I don't know why he hasn't answered your prayer yet. And it's a burden to you. But we all have that one area where we fasted and we prayed and we got rejected. And we just stopped praying in that area. And we got enough faith for everybody else to move mountains. We got enough, enough faith for everything. But in this one area, it's been too long. And it's just easier to not pray about it than to experience the rejection again. But can I just give you a word of encouragement? 
Don't allow yesterday's rejection to hinder you from seeking today's need of grace. Let me say that again. Don't allow yesterday's rejection to hinder you from seeking today's need of grace. So do you have any mustard seed faith in here today? Lord, I know that you're able. I just don't know if you will. I have a thought for you on the screen. It's, it's, some, it's often easy, sometimes easier to believe in God's power than in his mercy. God, I believe you're powerful, but I don't know if you're going to have mercy on me right now. Look at Jesus' response in verse 41. And moved with pity. This is Jesus. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. I love that here. It said, move to pity. Move to compassion. Scripture didn't have to say how Jesus felt. He could have said, well, Jesus responded and said, be clean. But the scripture, the writer, Mark, wants you to know how Jesus felt when he looked at this man. How does he feel? Compassion. And it said he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will. I am willing. Be clean. Now, Jesus never had to touch him to heal him. Think about that. He could have just said, you know what? You're healed. But he wanted to touch him. A man who nobody touches. And the first touch this man has experienced in years is a touch from his Savior. What does that tell us and teach us this morning is that Jesus doesn't practice social distancing. Not with his people. Not with anyone. And what we learn from this act of compassion from Jesus is that no person is too disgusting for God to touch. And maybe some of you, I don't know what you did you feel a sense of shame and you feel a sense of disgust. No one is too disgusting for God to touch. You aren't too disgusting for Jesus. You aren't too weak in faith for Jesus. He loves you and looks on you with compassion. Jesus loves you deeply. And one of the ways that his love for you is seen is in his compassion for you. But next, it's not only that he has love for you that's visible through his compassion... The next is, in fact, is this. Jesus has instructions for you. He has instructions for you. So he heals this man. Leprosy gone. Leprosy not in remission. It's gone. He don't have it no more. So verse 43. Well, verse 42. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go out, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof for them. So I love this in verse uh, 43. This is weird here because Jesus heals him. Imagine how this guy feels. He's dancing in circles. He looks at his arms, he, everything's clear, everything's clean. And it says, and Jesus sternly warned him, man, don't say anything to anyone. Some of your translation says, and Jesus with a strong warning said to him not to say anything. That phrase, strong warning or sternly charged, the Greek word means to censor severely. So it's like, man, don't say anything. This is a serious conversation. So Jesus probably looking at him in the eyes and saying, hey, listen, I know you're happy. I know you're healed. 
look at me. I need you to not say anything. I'm commanding you. I need you to obey me. If you love me, don't say anything. Now, there's a couple reasons that we know as we read on and we find out later for Jesus' reason for him being silenced. One is Jesus was able to move around more freely because few people knew about him. This is early on in the ministry. It's easy for us to look back 2,000 years and be like, Jesus, Jesus. When he first came out on the scene, nobody knew him. They didn't know who he was. He hadn't done a whole lot of miracles yet. Now, John the Baptist and some others knew who he was, but he hadn't started his ministry yet. So he was able to move in and out of cities and go around preaching because he didn't have to deal with the massive crowds yet. Imagine if I just said to someone, we said, man, the singer Adele is right over here at Pete's. Everybody going to show up. If we said, man, LeBron James is over at Pete's right now. Everybody going to pull out their phone. He's going to go viral. Jesus is not trying to go viral right now. It's going to take away from what he's trying to do. And then second reason for silence is that people would then only come for miracles and not silence. And this is an issue that comes up over and over and over. Is people just come up because they like, they never heard of Jesus. They don't know who he is. But imagine how you would feel if you heard there's a man that can heal your grandma. There's a man that can heal your son. There's a man that can touch you and your diabetes is gone. Your blood pressure is low. You're back to normal. Everybody's like, I want that doctor. ASAP. So Jesus is like, please don't say anything. And then he gives this man instructions on what to do. Verse 44, he said, and see that you say nothing to anyone, but listen, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. So you know what it says in the word of God. And what he's referring to is in Leviticus 14, the next chapter after the chapter I just read, it talks about what would happen if a man who was leper, if he had leprosy, if he was cleansed, and it said the first thing that man had to do, he had to go to a priest outside the camp because he can't come into camp. A priest would then go out. He would meet a priest. The priest would then check him to see if he's truly clean and is delivered from that and healed then that man had to offer two clean birds as a sacrifice. He had to wash all his clothes, cut off all of his hair. Remember, his hair had to grow out, cut that all off. Then he had to go take a bath and dip in water and be clean. Such a picture of the gospel. Examine to see if you really changed. Offer a sacrifice, that's the blood of Christ. And then go wash and be made clean, baptism. You see the parallels? And so the first thing was amazing Um, When you think about God is that the first expectation God has in his mind written into his word in Leviticus 14 of what a leper should do once that leper is healed is go worship. The first thing you need to do is get back to worship. But notice that Jesus doesn't just uh, say, uh, hey, you need to get back to worship. Jesus immediately directs him to obey whatever the word says. He says, do whatever Moses said to do in the scripture. So I've healed you, but now I need you to obey the word. There's still a process here. And this is God speaking to him. Jesus loves this man so much, he's not only willing to heal him, but he points him back to the word. What do you need to do now that you heal? Worship me and walk in my word. I'm giving you instructions. Let me just tell you. Somebody who loves you is willing to instruct you. God loves you so much that he's given you his word to guide you through this thing called life. Don't you got problems? 
Aren't there challenges? You should be a woman of the word. Man, a man of the word. What does God have to say about this? Jesus loves you so much that he has given you his word to instruct you and he has given you the Holy Spirit to guide you. Give you a couple verses. Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you, this is the Lord, and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I'm going to instruct you. Who's leading you this week? Yourself? How good has that been going? I will instruct you. I will teach you. Proverbs 4, 13 says, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I'm walking in darkness in this world. I need your word to give me some light. John 8, 31, Jesus says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, his followers, if you abide in my what? My word. You are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you're really following me, abide in my word. And you're going to know what the truth is in the midst of a country and a world that has no concept of what truth is right now. And the truth will set you what? Free. I want you walking in freedom, not bondage. And we struggle because when we hear obeying the word and letting him instruct us, we like, oh, all this legalism. Let me tell you something. If it was up to my two youngest sons, they would eat candy and ice cream all day long. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Let me ask you, would that be good for them? And if I tell them don't do it and they don't have the concept to understand why I'm saying that, is it legalism? No. When I tell them, hey, you need to be to bed by a certain time, you have school tomorrow. Ah, oh, man, why we got to go to bed so early? Is that legalism? No. If I say, man, don't watch that show. This is what's going to do to you. If I say, hey, stay away from this situation. Am I trying to uh, uh, put them in bondage or am I trying to protect them? Protect them. And so obedience to Christ feels like legalism if you don't love Jesus with a pure heart. Obedience to Jesus isn't legalism. It's God's loving protection for you. When Jesus says don't sin, he's saying don't hurt yourself. You want to dabble in that, you're going to hurt yourself. The more you love Jesus, the more you want to look like Jesus. In fact, what's actually dangerous, what's deadly, and what's discouraging is when God gives you up to yourself. Well, he's like, all right, well, go ahead. That's scary. Like, that's a scary place to be. I mean, that was the theme of the book of Judges. Remember the book of Judges that marked that era? Judges 16, uh, no, 17, 6 says this. And in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Oh, yes, there was a king. His name was Yahweh. They just didn't want him. God said, go ahead. So what did they do? Whatever is right in their own eyes. And if you don't listen to Jesus, you're not willing to follow his instructions, then you do whatever you think is right in your own eyes. But Jesus loves you enough to instruct you in his word in order to direct you and protect you. He's trying to help you. He has compassion on you. And lastly, 
his love is seen for you in this fact, jot this down. Jesus is willing to suffer for you. This is powerful right here. Don't miss this. So look at that's part of verse 44. He says, right, go offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded to you. Obey what the word says. Look in verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. Let's just stop right there. Jesus said, it says Jesus sternly, strongly warned him, don't say anything. And it said, but he went out, started spreading the news. Now, while this seems good and worthy of celebration, man, he's testifying and sharing about Christ. He's sharing his faith. While this seems good and worthy of celebration, it's, it's actually not good. Because Jesus sternly warned him and gave him a strong warning not to say anything. And Jesus probably told him why. Hey, this is what's going to happen. The first act that this man takes after being healed is disobeying a direct command from Jesus. The very first decision he makes after being healed is doing what is right in his own eyes. Now, we ain't talking about, like, reading the word. You're like, well, I don't know. That's your interpretation. Like, Jesus looked him in the eye, God in the flesh, and said, do not do this. I'm commanding you. Don't do this. And he's like, okay. And he did it. I have a thought for you on the screen. Sin isn't always doing or interacting with something evil. Oftentimes, sin is simply not doing what Jesus asked you to do. Let me say that again. Sin isn't always doing or interacting with something evil. Oftentimes, sin is simply not doing what Jesus asked you to do. Imagine God saying, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. Go to Pharaoh. I want to deliver my people. And Moses is like, but man, don't you see all these broken families here in Midian? I want to serve them. My heart just breaks for them. I'm going to stay back and start a ministry. That's good, but that's not what I asked you to do. I said to go back to Egypt. A lot of times, Satan will get you off doing good things. But they're not what he asked you to do. I'll put it to you this way. I have this one on the screen. Something that appears to be a good thing can become a wrong thing when it's not the thing God commanded you to do right now. Let me say that to you again. There's something or some things that appear to be a good thing. They can become the wrong thing when it's not the thing God commanded you to do right now. We often fall into sin by doing what we think is best rather than doing what God says to do right now. And like the days of the book of Judges, oftentimes everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Now, let me ask you a question that's so encouraging as we prepare to close out. Did Jesus know that the leper would immediately disobey him? Did he know that? Yes, he's God. So Jesus, before he healed him, he knew that the first thing he would do is disobey him. And he still healed him anyway. Think about that. I know within the next 10 minutes, you are going to do exactly the opposite of what I just told you not to do. 
but I'm going to heal you anyway. Peter, you smile in my face, but I know you're going to reject me. Before the rooster crows, bro, Judas, you're going to sell me out for 30 pieces of silver, but I'm going to wash your feet and eat this meal with you. If you're discouraged and you're like, well, God can't love me, he already knew that you was going to renege this past week. Not read the word, not do what you're supposed to do. He knew that you was going to turn around and sin and lose it again, and that didn't stop him from loving you. But here's the thing, look in this text. Jesus healed him anyway, but at a cost to himself. Look at verse 45. But he went out, this is the man, and began to talk freely about it to spread the news, listen, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him. So Jesus could no longer openly enter the town, it says, but he was now out in desolate places. I love the NIV. The NIV says, in lonely places. Other translations say, in secluded places. So check this out. Jesus healed this man, knowing that it would cost him and force him to now live in the same places that the leper once lived. Jesus was willing to heal this man and he was willing to uh, trade places with this man. The leper was the one who had to live outside the camp. He was the one who had to live in desolate and lonely places. But now because he wouldn't obey Jesus, Jesus now has to go live in the desolate and lonely place outside the camp. And so when I say to you that Jesus loves you deeply, it's true. Because it costs him something to love you. It costs his own life. And so you can know this morning, he's not going anywhere, my sister. I know a lot of people ran out on you, but he ain't running anywhere. He paid for you with his own blood. You're stuck with him. He's not going to run on you, and he has now gone outside the camp for our sins. We have been made clean. We have been now washed, and we get to go to the temple and laugh and dance around when he had to go outside the camp. It says this in scripture. Hebrews 13, 11, 12 said this. For the bodies of those animals, it's talking about the sacrifice in the Old Testament. For the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burnt. Where? Outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. I love her so much that I'm going to make her clean and I'm willing to go outside the camp. I love him so much that I'm going to touch him and make him clean and I'm going outside the camp. So Jesus was willing to go outside the camp for you. You never have to question his love, even when your faith is weak, because you're too afraid of being rejected again. Jesus loves you deeply. He has compassion for you. Jesus loves you deeply. He has instructions for you. And Jesus loves you deeply. He is willing to suffer for you. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Jesus loves me. He who died. Heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin. Let his little child come in. Jesus loves me, loves me still, though I'm very weak and ill. From his shining throne on high comes to watch me where I lie. Jesus loves me. He will stay. 
close beside me all the way. Then his little child will take up to heaven for his dear sake. Jesus loves you deeply. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray for that person sitting here and they have a category where they just, they stop praying. And if they're transparent, it's, they don't want to feel rejected. They don't want to fast and get so stirred up to hear a no or a not right now. And it's, they've been wounded. They stop praying for that sibling to come to faith. They stop praying for that neighbor, that loved one. They stop praying for the breakthrough for that brother or sister. They stop praying for that person strung out in addiction. They stop praying over this certain area of their own heart and life. God, I just pray that yesterday's rejection would not hinder them from seeking today's need of grace. God, would you help us to obey you and do the thing that you've called us to do right now? God, help them to see what it is for you that is the one thing that you're just like, man, I'm calling you right now to do this. And they've put it off. God, I pray that they would sense more than anything that they are loved by you. That you could know that they're going to fail this week, that they were going to fail this past week, and it didn't stop you from having compassion for them. It didn't stop you from going on the cross, as Pastor Kent talked about earlier. As we think about Good Friday, the cross, God, you knew our sins, past, present, and future, and you still said, I'm going anyway. So, God, I just pray by the power of your spirit that there will be an overwhelming sense of your love in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Chicago West Sunday Sermons. Join us next week.